Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Tax Security Podcast. We have a really exciting episode for you today. Uh, we are really looking forward to getting into the weeds a little bit with uh, one of our guys from Talos. So we have today with us Jeff Sorrell. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. Great, great. Yep. Um, so, Jeff, um, we, we also have Foster Lipke. Hello, Internet. How are you? Nice. And Justin <laughs> Roberts. They invited me back. Yeah. So, uh, again, we are... We're Against here. my will. Against Foster's will. We are here in the Cisco Fulton, Maryland office. And while we are up here for some other work-related events, we wanted to grab one of our guys from Talos and just pick his brain a little bit about... You know, what is Talos? What do they do? How do they help our customers? Some of that kind of uh, really uh, interesting information that we, f- we think that uh, you, our listeners, will really enjoy hearing. So let's just jump right into it, Jeff. So again, Jeff Sorrell with us, and we uh, just want to thank you for joining us and uh, sharing part of your day with, with us and our listeners. Um, Jeff, why don't you just go ahead and just tell us a little bit about yourself and um, kind of, you know, why did you join Talos? Some of that good stuff. Sure. Yeah. Um, So I've been with Talos for about five years now, a little over five years. I'm on the detection response team. So we're in charge of uh, coverage for recent vulnerabilities, malware coverage. Uh, So we're like, we're in the trenches, I guess you could say. Um, So we're the front line. Uh, We usually see everything first. We'll get stuff from interdiction. Um, We'll get stuff from uh, uh, services um, or our Intel team. So it's pretty cool. We get to see a lot of different stuff. Uh, we're handling a lot of different tools. We use primarily Snort, uh, Clam, Amp. Uh, those are our big tools for our day-to-day. So before that, I did tech support for a couple years. Um, it was Sourcefire back then. So the, uh, the VRT uh, at the time uh, was doing some really cool stuff. So just interested in, in you know, how Snort works, why we uh, select certain features for vulnerabilities, getting into... Uh, why attackers do what they do or how they do what they do uh, was really fascinating for me. Um, so getting to talk with some of the VRT guys and, and getting into that, uh, that sort of space, uh, that vulnerability research space was super interesting for me. So for those of you that don't know, VRT would mean vulnerability research team, and that's what we called it back at Sourcefire. And it's actually funny because I actually took Jeff's desk when I first started when he left to go to Talos or VRT at that time. Mm-hmm. So VRT was the former name of now today Talos. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Um, okay. And there's a lot of a lot of VRT members uh, still there. So, um. and so you you mentioned attackers. So I think that's very interesting. You said you know why they do what they do. We know that you know we know what attackers do, especially with you know especially even just people who aren't even in the cybersecurity realm. You know all of the different things that that pop up in the news. A lot of them now are front page news. CEOs getting fired. Um, because of that, um, millions of customers' uh, information being stolen and stuff. But you mentioned why attackers do what they do, and I'm not so sure that that's something that many people have, a, probably very few people have as good of a handle on as, as you and the folks in Talos. So can you, what are some of the things that you guys have observed um, in regards to why uh, attackers do what they do? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, there's uh, there's a a lot of different reasons, right? Um, so the the uh, one category would be something like commercial, uh, just commercial malware, um, stuff that um, uh, sort of low-hanging fruit kind of stuff, opportunistic. Um, so if you see something like a hot new WordPress vulnerability or Joomla or something like that, um, something that's easy to exploit, something that, that you can script and just kind of throw everywhere. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll see, um, there was like a 
a, a huge rush to the, the crypto mining stuff. Mm. Um, so that was, that's super easy to implement. Um, you drop your crypto miner on some Linux host that's, you know, uh, that's running somewhere and you're able to, you, ju you know, just anonymously um, uh, generate, generate money instantly. Um, before that, there was the, um, uh, the crypto ransomware um, uh, stuff that was pretty popular, um, and that s switched to the crypto mining, um, especially yeah. with the, there was a, um, there was a, uh, an influx of like JavaScript crypto miners. So you could actually mm. just have a pop-up, uh, in the background and, and that would just be mining in your browser. Uh, it's slow, right. um, but if you get enough people doing that at the same time, well, I spend can, money on my own hardware when I can just have you, you click sure. a link exactly. and you can mine it for me. Yeah, I even heard that. I don't know if it's still happening because you know the Bitcoin price bust and all that. But for a, for a while, I um, had read some information indicating that even cell phones were being hacked um, and taken control of, owned, if you will, to do crypto mining. So um, even even something as small as your iPhone could be participating in some financial uh, gain through crypto mining um, by an, by an adversary or, or a bad actor. Um, so I, that's very interesting. So that's like financial gain, right? I mean, ultimately, those guys are trying to use your information or in this case, your resources to uh, to pocket some change. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, going back to the phone thing, um, you know, phones are pretty powerful nowadays. Um, and, you know, on top of that, even if you get something that's not very powerful, if you get a good user base, um, that's all that really matters. And, um, it, you know, you could see it as, as totally something that's a passive income. And while that's running, uh, you know, security teams are hunting it down um, and they're moving on to the next thing. So, um, you know, some of the stuff that we do with Snort is um, we are Snort is signature based. Um, but what we're doing is we're we're also trying to cover vulnerabilities in certain way that we can be generic. Um, so if there's something uh, recently we had um, a WordPress plugin that had a debug endpoint, right? Um, so you could run uh, commands on this debug endpoint. Um, they patched that, uh, that specific command that allowed you to upload um, some PHP and start running stuff. Um, but what they, they, uh, they didn't patch it fully. So, you know, the next uh, three days later, someone else is hitting that same endpoint uh, with something else. So the final patch was to remove it. Um, but what we did is we covered that generically. Um, so we were already, by the time they're pivoting to, to something else, we've already, uh, you know, stepped in. So. Yeah, so he more heuristic, looking for, you know, how they're going about this rather than the explicit exploit, right? Yeah. That one um, exploit. When we can, yeah. uh, for sure. Um, we're also trying to, the, the toughest thing with Snort is to balance uh, security effectiveness with performance, right? So if a customer loads, you know, a signature on there and we're, we're promising to catch, you know, every SQL injection or every you know, uh, cross-site scripting attempt, um, but it, you know, it, it, it ruins the box and you're, you're dropping traffic everywhere that's, uh, I think you're worse off than when you started. So. We'll, we'll translate that into, into uh, FTD and FMC consumers. That would be your security over connectivity policy, you know, that is uh, more just, on that side of things. Or just clicking enable on every single rule known to man, right? Yes. Uh, Please yes. don't turn all 38,000 yes. or plus rules. <laughs> no. So you talked a little bit about, you know, some of the tools that you guys use to cover, you know, AMP, Snort, um, you have, we have ThreatGrid out there. What's your favorite way to cover a vulnerability? So if somebody comes to you with a vulnerability, which would you prefer? Do you want to deal with it on the network side? Do you want to deal with it on the endpoint side? Uh, so I'm a little biased. Uh, I'm going to pick Snort. Um, my, so Snort's my favorite tool. Um, I think the best thing we can do 
is when we have when we we have a vulnerability and we can cover it with snort uh it's it's the best possible scenario um so we we're, we're blocking the attack before it even ends up on the endpoint um, and when we do that in in a way where each time you're getting an alert and fps false positives are low or very low or non-existent um, what you're getting is alert information so you're able to um, correlate some stuff maybe there's um, there's a, a single IP address or uh, you know uh, some some group of IP addresses that you can then you know act on um, so just keeping that you know alert quality high um, and and blocking things on the network um, before they even get to the host so we don't have to deal with you know the the, the second stage or anything like that CNC um, we will uh, you know when it comes to that but um, I think the best case scenario is, is dropping it before it even gets there. So, yeah, that's really cool. So, uh, a lot of people probably don't know, but Jeff is a complete snort expert. He's probably the one that taught oh. most of the people in tech how snort works. That's probably why he's got that little bit of bias there. <laughs> uh, just a little bit biased. Yeah, <laughs> just a little bit. Well, there's nothing wrong with a little bias, right? Um, so, something you said, Jeff, just made me kind of want to highlight something for our listeners. So. Uh, let's say a, a vulnerability arises, right? We are we, we see something in the wild that maybe we haven't seen before. We need to write a signature for it. You, you mentioned that it's better and more effective to go ahead and get it at the network level, right? Because it has visibility over a lot more than just an endpoint. But when it comes to saying, okay, we've got this new attack that's surfacing, are there, are there responses simultaneously? Like do we, within Talos and, and Cisco's overall response to that, would we start at the snort level and move on to the endpoint once we see it there or is there something that happens in tandem um so can, can you talk a little bit about that and kind of how we respond yeah for sure um so we don't just uh we don't just stop at snort um and and uh, we're definitely doing things in tandem so um and just to you know go back to you know my snort bias um we'll use uh each tool is you know clam uh, is fit for certain certain tasks and amp is is certainly better fit for certain tasks than the other tools so each tool has its strength um and we're definitely working in tandem the the rule that uh we follow is anything that that can be covered we we will cover right um so if it's useful to the customer uh we'll do it um so i think with with clam you're you're seeing data at rest right so that gives you a lot more time to uh, unpack a file, um, do some. Uh, uh, so I think in the product we still have that right, where it's the the cloud analysis, the dynamic analysis. Yeah, we still do dynamic um, analysis. We even push right. that down, right? You, they do clam on. We do clam on the FTD itself. Mm -hmm. So we have some heuristics that are done there, and some of the clam sigs do yeah. go down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so and then with with AMP, we're able to look at um, uh, chains of events, right? So. Um, you know, Snort, we're looking at uh, single packets or single sessions. Clam, we're looking at, you know, a single file. And with AMP, we're able to look at, you know, a series of events um, and, and on the endpoint. Uh, so that's um, all of those tools have their specific strengths. Um, and we definitely operate in tandem. Uh, anything that we can cover, you know, we will. So. So you talked a lot about coverage, uh, and you've obviously covered quite a bit in your career. What would be the favorite thing that you've covered? Do you have like a specific vuln that yeah. you loved, or yeah, for sure. Um, so when Eternal Blue came out, uh, that was that was pretty exciting. Um, so you know, at the time, uh, we had some allegedly leaked uh, NSA tools, right? At the time, and yeah. Um, so you could it was point and shoot. So you could, uh, at, you know, aim at any Windows host and uh, get. Uh, get capabilities on that host, right? 
So not only that, but it came wrapped up in this nice, neat little command line Python tool. So you know, everyone from you know the the elite uh, you know attacker, someone very skilled, to the person that just booted Kali, you know, it, it, and is just now getting into network security. Anybody could run this exploit. Um, so it's super interesting. Um, we were looking at, uh, it, you know, and it instantly got implemented. Uh, it was like overnight, right, uh, into uh, these malware campaigns. Um, and uh, so we needed coverage quickly. And so I remember uh, that weekend where, you know, I think there's three or four of us on just on the analyst team um, that were, you know, just putting in the hours. And it was, it was exciting. So it didn't really, it didn't really feel like, uh, you know, work. It was, we were doing, um, you know, I was personally learning a lot about kernel debugging um, and how difficult it is <laughs> on, a, on a Windows host. Um, so you know that, that entails you know multiple VMs, um, and um, so the you know the kernel uh, you know system calls and all that stuff are pretty opaque. So we're we're really like poking around trying to find and guess, and we're replaying stuff and. Um, so we, we were able to come up with some with some coverage, um, and there was there was a bunch of them. So there's you know the, the uh, synergy, eternal romance, um, and uh, so we didn't know you know which was going to be the most popular at the time. We could guess, um, but so we were able to cover everything, um, get some signatures quickly out the door. Uh, I think we did an out of band release for that as well. Um, so that that was definitely an exciting weekend. Um, I guess the the next one would be. There was a uh, a critical Samba vulnerability um, that uh, that uh, it, it was seven years old at the time, um, but HD Moore had posted some breadcrumbs on his Twitter, uh, so he had a working proof of concept, but nobody else did at least publicly. Um, so uh, me and another guy on the team kind of had this little like face off to see this little <laughs> race to see who could get. Uh, the exploit working. You clearly first. won, right? Uh, I won that time. Uh, I, I got lucky. I don't favorite. Yeah, right. I got lucky. Yeah, these are the highlights, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I got lucky, um, and uh, we had a. The result was we had a working proof of concept before anybody else did for this critical SMB vulnerability. So, um, we had the uh, we had the Metasploit uh, module that did it. So it was you know. Um, easily reproducible point-and-shoot for us um, and we were of course able to get coverage out and uh, you know our customers being protected um, so that was exciting too um, you know getting getting not only the POC working but coverage out the door before anybody else you know started using this thing so so now for now you, you just mentioned you know POC uh, working you know reproduction in tech we reproduce problems all the time usually because we want to you know fix a bug or some sort of functional um, issue in, in a product or whether it's design, et cetera. Um, in Talos, you guys need to reproduce stuff because it then allows you to much more expediently reverse engineer or determine you know, how something is, is maliciously functioning, right? Um, can you tell me just a little bit more about that effort you know, and how important a POC or you know, proof of concept or, or actually a working exploit mm -hmm. is in terms of your ability to develop coverage for something? Sure. Yeah. Um, when someone, when attacker is, is is taking advantage of a software bug, um, there's a there's an uh, an execution path um, in that software that needs to happen, um, and so we need to understand maybe not the execution path to the to the specific level, but depending on the vulnerability, right? So, but we need to know which features. Let's say we're talking about something file based, uh, maybe like a PDF. So we need to understand which features in that PDF, uh, which values. Um, 
are pertinent to the vuln and we want to to cover those we don't want to we don't want to have content matches or restrictions on the rule that that have nothing to do with the vulnerability right so we want to make it as gener generic as possible um so there's there's a couple different terms we use um you know one is one is uh, vulnerability detection so if we have a value that overflows at you know a thousand bytes um we want to have a test for greater than a thousand bytes right now another another category um, of rule that you know we see um, you know blog posters use or or the community um, is something called a specific threat right so if we had if someone posted a proof of concept and it was you know a thousand a's right a, a the the lowest uh, in my opinion quality of coverage would be a specific threat for that so a content match that checked for all these a's right so that would be very specific because you can just plug in b's you know, whatever it is. So we want to catch uh, the actual vulnerability condition. That's what we want to do. Um, sort of like, like, sort of like pattern matching versus a specific string, or you could even think like a, a regex value rather than a sp having yeah. to have all the A's, like you're saying. What yeah. if it's just a thousand of any character? Exactly. Right. It would be a more a, a, a wider scope of coverage in that sense. Yeah, I think uh, I think the regex analogy is perfect, um, and we use regexes. And speaking so. of regexes, for any of you uh, ambitious snort writers out there, I would uh, if you're looking at performance, I might want to avoid that one. And I'm sure that Jeff will sympathize with that. <laughs> yeah, there's there's uh, there's good use cases for regexes. Absolutely, we try to you know do what we can without them, but we sort of use that as, as the last rule option, right? To, so we're pretty sure that the vulnerability condition is happening. Um, maybe we're weeding out an edge case or something like that. But by the time we get to the PRC, we're usually pretty sure something fishy is happening. So I want to take a jump back real quick to before when you were talking about your favorite coverage. Let's, let's talk about how you liked Eternal Blue, right? So I remember back when I first joined the team, uh, that was, well, not first, a little while after I joined the team. That's when Heartbleed and Shellshock came out. And I think that it's important to highlight just how quickly Talos responded to those, both of those. It was insane. And it just goes to show, I think, in my opinion, I haven't seen other organizations and how they do it, but firsthand seeing Talos kind of swarm in on that, it shows you what a bunch of smart dudes and dudettes can do when something comes out and they're really passionate about it, right? That was covered instantly. Almost instantly, mm -hmm. yeah. It was very fast. And it saved us. I mean, those TAC cases coming in were relentless it's a lot easier to take that tag case when you can say yeah we already covered it here's the sit when you copy paste you know, just hey, make sure hey. you turn that one on yeah absolutely absolutely um shell shock was really cool people are just throwing that everywhere and so uh one of the one of the uh, really talented guy on our team was digging into uh so it was a fun function declaration um and it came down to uh the source code for for bash and he's looking around and he's like oh it's these four characters every time uh open paren close paren space open curly that those four characters needed to be there, needed to be, it, there was the same thing every single time. So there were some weird places people were sticking those to get their code to run. Um, that's very strange to see in an HTTP header, um, in a client body. So we're actually able to, um, with that knowledge, right? So we're not covering something specific right, to a specific actor or something like that. We're covering the vuln. Um, so those four characters, anytime you see that, uh, likely something uh, fishy is happening. I, li I like how you use likely because we have seen many times where we kind of preface that those rules that are out there for Shellshock today that look for those characters can false positive, right? Because sure. we're yeah. just looking at those characters and we have seen that. We've seen tag cases come in where people are questioning why this is false positive. And it's just by the pure nature of how we have to detect that. 
Yeah, so I, th- I think um, I think the SID that that uh, that comes up a lot is the HTTP URI SID, and so those four characters, um, if they're in the URI, you know, we see that enough that that you know that's one of those conditions. Yeah, they, you'll, you'll have to take a deeper look, but they can be there and they can be there legitimately. Right. It doesn't mean that it's not the issue. But uh, yeah, just be aware of that. We uh, yeah, I think when I was looking at one of those FP cases, it uh, and the URI that someone was de- defining a JavaScript function like in the URI uh, was one of the cases, which and is it was also just, strange. Yeah, it was it was one of the strangest things, and and that's what's um, that's what's cool about um, the team that I work on uh, is the uh, you know we'll write something that we're we're super solid on. We you know we we think you know this is great. Uh, another another example was um, you know. At, at one point in time, we we published a signature for TLS certificate um, serial number because we're like, yeah, that's that's very unique. This was in you know the old days. This was uh, a long time ago. Uh, turns out serial numbers aren't unique. So um, so we, well, we would have you know, thought that right? right? Yeah, right. Uh, so um, you know we're learning uh, you know and just like the you know the the um, shell shock in the URI, we we put things out and sometimes we get we get that uh, feedback. We're like, hey, uh, maybe we're a little bit wrong about this. So. So one of the great things about Talos is they're totally open to feedback, right? So anytime a customer reports one of these false positives, it doesn't just fall on deaf ears. You know, TAC reaches out to Talos, explains why we think it might be a false positive, and they evaluate it. So somebody like Jeff looks at the complaints or the the challenges that people are facing with their rules, and maybe they'll make a tweak here, or maybe they can, you know, push back and say, here's a great way you can change your config. So Talos is definitely open to to fixing those rules. So you, you talk about rules and false positive. What's the back end for a rule looks like? So Jeff comes in, he writes up this awesome rule that saves us from a turtle blue, but how does that make its way out to the field? So you wrote it, what happens mm-hmm. next? So the, me, the analyst writes a rule. Um, that's the first step is understanding the vulnerability, um, getting a thorough understanding that those conditions that uh, create this, this opportunity uh, for me to, to get my code running, right? Um, so once I have a, a good enough understanding, um, I'll create coverage. That coverage gets tested, and then it gets um, uh, tested against the vulnerability, right? So it alerts, it alerts in our policies that we're targeting. It'll go through an FP testing suite. So one of the cool things that we, we added in the last couple years is this giant database of normal traffic. Um, and so initially, um, years ago when we were writing rules, we we're like, well, uh, to the best of my knowledge, the content matches, you know, don't exist in normal traffic, um, or they're they're not very popular, right? Um, and uh, so what we started to, to understand was it's it's almost equally as important to understand what's in normal traffic than what's in exploit traffic. Um, it's just as as important because you know we're telling talking about um, shell shock false positives, right? So um, false positive alerts are a huge strain on a, on a security analyst team, right? So we want to produce high, high quality alerts, stuff that when Snort says, hey, look at this, it's important. Uh, there's, there's a real attack going on. So the other side of that, looking at normal traffic, making sure that A, we're, we're not alerting on normal traffic, but B, that we're performing well on normal traffic. So we do that with, um, we've created this big uh, repository of normal traffic. We have dozens of file formats. Um, with thousands of known clean samples of that format in PCAP form. Uh, we have, you know, for, you know, the JavaScript volumes and, and stuff like that, we have uh, Alexa traffic, we have the top 10,000 Alexa sites, and that's, that's growing. So when we, when we, when we write a rule uh, after coverage, after validating that it, it works on all of the 
the known different mutations of that that exploit, the different um, POCs. If it's public, we're testing you know the Metasploit module. We're testing what was posted on exploit DB, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so once we have something that works, something that's FP tested, it goes to someone called uh, the committer. So the, the committer is a senior analyst that, um, that knows, that, that understands uh, vulnerability uh, conditions and understands the vuln, but you've done the research, the analyst has done the research. So they're doing like a quick spot check. Um, they'll understand more about snort. Maybe, maybe you can bump your head, do something that seems like it would work well, but you know, uh, we want to tweak a little bit for snort. So after the committer okays it, it goes, it gets uh, committed to the rule set. Officially, it gets a SID. Um, now it's an official rule. And uh, during um, release, during the, the release cycle, uh, we'll package that. It gets tested on a bunch of different systems. Uh, we, it, it gets Crete tested. We have a program called Crete where we have, um, we have partners that run our boxes um, and allow us to test rules. Uh, so that's that's extremely helpful because we're we have our canned traffic, but there's nothing like getting your rules tested on real network traffic, real business traffic, where the rule is going to end up. So that's what we do. We we bake those rules in our Crete systems, uh, usually overnight. And if everything comes back ready, you know we've got we've got these rules that that go out in the SRUs, right? And it's crazy to think all of that happens in hours. Really hours, right? Yeah. So yeah, some of these out of band vulnerabilities come out, and it's the SRU's out early morning the next day, and you're like, man, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. there's a, yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of work and testing and checking, and and sometimes um, sometimes we do have false positives, and you know we work quickly to reduce those, but um, you know the the amount of coverage that you know we can put out, and and you know we keep that bar for you know the highest quality that that we can possibly get. And, you know, so we, we've gotten pretty good at it. The process is pretty streamlined, so we can do turnarounds pretty quickly. So I imagine there's quite a bit of automation and tooling in there. And I think that's something you might be passionate about. I know I am. Yeah. Uh, is there anything fun that you're allowed to talk about? You know, don't talk about anything super secret yeah, here. But um, yeah, for sure. Uh, so um, in the past uh, year and a half, two years, I've stepped into more of a uh, developer automation role. So. I think the goal is we want to do more data-driven signature writing, right? So um, one of the one of the cool new automation projects that we have is is this uh, data repository for PCAP. It's called PCAPDAR. Um, another member of our team wrote that, and um, it's fantastic. So it does frequency analysis on traffic. So a lot of traffic is HTTP, and a lot of HTTP is JavaScript and HTML. So we'll take We'll tokenize that JavaScript. We'll count the frequency of different um, JavaScript phrases. Not only that, but we will understand if this word has is this common in our test traffic, how common is this word followed by this other word? Um, so we can get down. Uh, that's really given us some cool, um, some cool information. When I'm writing a rule and I go, well, I know the vulnerability condition is, you know, this statement followed by this, followed by, you know, adding this to the page, removing it, et cetera, et cetera. But these functions that are being called, how common is this in normal traffic? So how often is my rule going to enter? Is it likely to FP? And I'm doing this all before, um, all before the FP testing, all before Crete testing, before it gets released. I have hard data that tells me how often my content matches are, are going to occur in normal traffic. So it gives you higher fidelity rules with mm -hmm. lower likelihood to impact performance, right? So you yeah. don't accidentally look at something that's super common. Right, right. Um, 
And so uh, that's, that's given way to some really cool stuff where we're working on workflow uh, stuff. So I think it's safe to say that, that um, any security analyst team has m more, much more vulnerabilities and malware to cover than is humanly possible. Uh, we could have a team of like, uh, I'm pretty sure like a thousand and we, we couldn't cover everything. We'd still have stuff that, you know, that isn't covered. So uh, a lot of the automation efforts we're doing, there's, there's, a, there's something called a magic framework uh, or the magic framework that the malware team's um, been doing. And it's, it's this fantastic automatic clustering and signature creation for malware. Um, on us, for the snort side, we're dipping our toes into how do we take this frequency analysis data that we have, knowing what's normal traffic, having a POC as input, how do we get snort rules that cover the vulnerability on the other side? And that's, that's a really tough question to answer. So having all of the, the unconscious stuff that, that an analyst does when they look at a POC, like, oh, this is, this, this, uh, this is a comment section. I won't match on that, right? Uh, you have to, um, oh, this is a really common string in JavaScript, or um, this has nothing to do with the vulnerability. This is a console.log, right? Teaching, a, teaching a, a piece of software how to do that is, gets pretty tricky. Um, so we're just, tep we're just uh, dipping our toes in the water for uh, automated snort coverage creation. Uh, it's a really cool problem. Um, essentially, what we have now is this is this tool that um, does a pretty good job. It ingests certain uh, file types and can generate rules. Um, and the outcome is somewhere in between like an analyst with six months of experience, maybe more. It covers the vuln in a way that I would. And sometimes it comes out and we go, you know, have you seen a computer before? Kind of thing. Um, so it, you it's know, not quite there yet, right? It's still yeah. a work in progress. Yeah, it's it's absolutely a work in progress. It's something that we're really excited about, and it's 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 taking advantage of that data driven stuff. So we're and, and all of these cool things kind of came out of all right. Well, let's just start looking at at traffic. Let's just start like um, digging in, collecting data, collecting information, and see where that leads us. So, uh, you know, having that workflow, being able to create rules that are even faster. We can catch the vulnerability condition, but how can we make that even faster and, uh, and, and easier for the analyst? So when we get a new analyst, um, there's this ramp up time, right? And, and so uh, we have a tool um, that sort of abstracts all of, the, uh, all of the more difficult parts of running Snort, right, on the command line. And um, with, this, with this tool, it's, a, uh, it's called Pisces. So we're able to um, get, a, get an analyst that's brand new. As long as they can run a Python command, they're up and running Snort uh, that same day. So they're able to focus on vulnerability information and creating coverage as opposed to uh, taking lots of time to learn a new tool to do so. Uh, at the same time, the, the name of the game is not restricting power users or expert users from what they want to do with Snort. Um, it supports like a custom Snort build or um, SO rules, SO rule writing, uh, debugging features with GDB, um, all that kind of good stuff. So a power user would, would take advantage of, um, but it also is helping the, the ramp up time with the analyst. So yeah, you know, to answer your question, automation is totally happening. Um, it's, it's very, very cool. Um, there's, there's more projects than I could, than we have time to talk about. Yes. Um, so we, we thought know. they were fast before, but now they're working to get even faster is what I'm hearing, which is great. Right. Um, 
uh, reducing FPs, making sure, uh, you know, if we're able to select content matches based on, you know, uh, how common it is in traffic with hard numbers. Uh, that's something that we haven't done before uh, or that we've, you know, we haven't had the opportunity to do. And so now we're collecting information that's, um, that I think is really going to provide, you know, a lot of value. And one of the things that you just mentioned, you've mentioned several times in the past uh, few minutes there, is things like frequency analysis. And mm -hmm. th these things, you know, with TLS 1.3 and the Internet becoming much, much more encrypted, you know, we can't always just run signatures against payload anymore, right, because most of the data is encrypted. So do you find, you know, from your vantage point, you know, knee-deep in malware detection and, and looking at traffic, how much of this sort of machine learning um, and frequency detection type work do you think, how, how important do you think that's going to be moving into the future as eventually at some point it's probably going to become very difficult to have to do anything um, unless you can do it on encrypted traffic? Um, so as long as we're writing snort rules, as long as there's a demand uh, for snort signatures and long as they're useful, uh, we'll continue writing them. And so we'll continue building the tools to make those as good as we can. So I think one of the, you know, one of the things about encrypted traffic is that in order to, in order to have security, we have to inspect that at some point. Um, and so one of the, one of the ideas, you know, we were floating around is uh, snort on the endpoint. Um, so this is, you know, just um, sort of, you know, floating ideas around of how we could uh, go around the, the encrypted traffic problem. So I don't think encryption, uh, even the, the future of encryption or encrypted traffic totally, um, totally discounts, you know, snort inspection. So I think, um, you know, accounting for encrypted traffic will find ways uh, to, you know, provide that coverage for the customer with snort. Um, I think the best thing about encrypted traffic is you're really, you're really challenging not only Talos and Cisco, but you're challenging the industry to figure out what are we going to do about this, right? We have obviously the means of I'm going to insert myself in the middle, but not everyone has that luxury, right? Performance, not everyone can stick themselves right in the middle to inspect that traffic decrypted. So it, it be, it's a huge problem. And I think that we have a lot of people actively trying to figure out what to do about it. And it's going to spark crazy innovation. Yeah, and like Jeff was saying, maybe chase the traffic where it's not encrypted, right? The endpoint. Yeah. It has to be decrypted somewhere for, for some sort of network stack or application stack to look yeah, at. For now, at least. For now, at least. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. so, and then there's, there's all the, the meta information about traffic, um, which we absolutely act on. Uh, stuff like IP addresses, domains, um, the URL being encrypted, but um, domains and, and IP addresses. Um, we have some really cool automation stuff that goes in there. So we have we can have uh, hundreds of feeds, right? Intel feeds uh, from maybe from AMP from the customer side or from testing NSS testing, uh, which we used to do. Twitter, just you know, all, all of these different sources, and um, we're able to ingest those, run them against these cool automated guardrails it's sort of like don't shoot yourself in the foot and uh, which will and then those suggest things to be blacklisted and we'll do so in an automated fashion so um, there's lots of ways that we account for encrypted traffic I think when we move security more onto the endpoint um, we ha encryption becomes less of a barrier right um, so you know Justin was talking about performance when you're doing in the middle decryption for all of the clients, right, that are behind the device. Uh, it's very expensive, right? So, um, but if each endpoint is doing their own decryption, uh, that work is distributed, right? So back to that whole crypto mining thing, right? And just right? <laughs> it, yeah. it's spread it out. It makes it much less Get expensive. Straight. All right. Well, this has been really insightful. I know for me personally, you know, I've got to learn a lot, not just about Talos, but even just, the, you know, how you address and release those vulnerabilities. I think it's 
crazy impressive how much process and testing goes into a a rule and in just a matter of hours i mean the 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 fact that we we can see it we reproduce it we test it we even basically beta test it in live environments and release it all within a matter of hours is pretty amazing so it just goes to show you know the value and the power of of the talos team so so jeff i just want to thank you again it's jeff sorrell thank you for joining us so much today to talk about talos Um, next up on the tax security podcast we are going to be talking about a lot more about snort 3 Um, that is it's open source snort 3 is out there's a lot of architectural changes big changes in terms of performance um, and uh, we'll be talking through a lot of those changes in our next episode um, which we will have out for you shortly so those of you who want to know more about snort and in particular snort 3 and some of the differences over um, past snort versions be sure to tune in and join us for that Oh, and just before we sign off here, we wanted to throw out one more shameless plug, um, Beers with Talos. Justin, you want to tell our listeners about that as well? Yeah, Beers with Talos. So if you haven't listened to it, it's a uh, much more... uh, (laughs) In-depth. In-depth, hard and fast kind of thing, where uh, some of the leadership in Talos, some of the outreach guys, some of the more senior people from Sourcefire days actually sit down with each other. Um, They're not all in the same area, so they do it remotely. Uh, but it's a great way to get up to date on what their current challenges are in the field. You know, they'll kind of have a round table to talk about everything that's going on in the security world, their, their, their challenges. And it's, it's a way more laid back. It's a lot of fun. Um, but very informative if you, if you are interested in more things, uh, in the Talos world or vulnerabilities in general. Yeah, it's really great. You get to hear a lot about, of insight into what security, um, will look like in the future from people that are really the leading experts in the industry. It's a, it's a fantastic podcast. So I just Googled it, and for our listeners, if you just go and Google Beers with Talos, that's T-A-L-O-S, you can see talosintelligence.com slash podcasts, and they're all listed there. So I encourage you all to take a look at that, or take a listen, rather, to that, and, uh, and, and dig in, grab your popcorn and your beer. So Foster, Justin, and Jeff, thank you all so much for joining us, and to our listeners, we will see you next time.